What's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode number four of the Earth Movers podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Zach O'Malley, and today I'm joined by my friend, Henry Gillette. Henry's got some big ideas when it comes to healthcare, what's working, what's not working, and uh, how we can overthrow the system. Hope you guys brought your thinking caps, your pencils, your pieces of paper, because you're going to need to take some notes. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode of the Earth Movers podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Earth Movers Podcast. Uh, I'm here today with my good friend, uh, Henry Gillette. You might know him as Black Vegan Jesus. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let him uh, open himself up. How's it going, man? Tell us about yourself a little bit. It's going pretty good. Um, I'm a 25-year-old uh, black kid. That's okay. what I am. Um, but beyond that, yeah, like me, er, most people already know, you know. Um, uh, I guess some people do know a few personal things about me. I am a physical sciences major, if okay. that helps anyone at all. Um, I live in Tampa, Florida. I actually live in Valrico, Florida. So, um, okay. but you know, it's one of those things where you tell people the big city rather than the the right. little the little yeah. town instead. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Same yeah. <laughs> um, but um, yeah. Um, and actually, um, have uh, been re- over the past couple years. Uh, um, I've actually, to be real, I've actually kind of been inspired by. Uh, ironically enough, I've been inspired by the uh the, this Trump presidency hmm. as a reason to not feel held back by any sort of uh um lack of experience per se yeah to stop you from pursuing dreams to like make some difference on a political level absolutely and you you mentioned earlier that you know you you kind of like offhandedly mentioned uh running for office is that that's something that's in your plans oh yeah no that's a that's a big thing um i just wanted the the real thing is that i've just been like a kind of just you know, feels like I've been procrastinating or I've been like kind of uh, not finishing my degree like I need to. So I've been yeah. kind of dragging my feet with that. Um, and because I've been dragging my feet, that's really the thing stopping me. Cause I know for a fact, like it would just be kind of weird if I were to, you know, pop up on the scene and be like, Oh, this guy doesn't even have a college degree and he wants to, <laughs> you know, run for office. So um, I've actually done, I've done gone to a couple events related to some, uh, uh, local caucuses and things like that try okay. to like get my feet wet a little bit talk yeah. to some people um and because of this th- because of this like social distancing self-isolation thing going on now with the coronavirus i haven't really this was this was actually about the time i was going to start trying to get more involved with them and go to more events go to more um like just they, they just have like general like uh where they have like guest speakers and things like that talk about certain policies they have like uh, state attorneys and things like that have conversations about decriminalizing marijuana and stuff like that, private prisons and whatever else. Right. And those types of things I try to get involved with because I like to see what's happening on the – what's actually happening from a policy perspective rather than just talking about what we should abolish, what we should change, and whatnot. And because I was getting more involved, it's a little frustrating now that I can't do that. But as soon as this whole thing clears over – or uh, as soon as this thing clears up, I'm going to get back involved with, with them, and hopefully I can make a, a local run soon. Yeah. Um. Hopefully in the next couple of years, so that'll be good. Sweet man, that's awesome. That's super exciting. Yeah. Um. Well, cool, dude. So, the reason uh the reason we're chatting today is because you have some pretty uh big ideas when it comes to healthcare, and uh, I do, I do. S- I some do. of them are a little bit controversial, and so yeah, for um, sure. I've been trying to get you on here for a while, especially like UBI. Like after I listened to your uh, recording about Yang versus Bernie, you know, $15 minimum wage versus a UBI, I was like, damn, this guy's got some good ideas. I really want to talk to him. 
you know, about some yeah. more in-depth stuff. And so I think, you know, between seeing all your, you know, your nonsense on Twitter regarding sleep, I was like, I think this might be, yeah. <laughs> I think this might be like the perfect <laughs> yeah. entry. Um, so yeah, let's start there. I mean, like what, what sparked your interest regarding um, healthcare policy? I mean, was there any kind of big event that really ticked you that was like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to start really diving into this stuff and, and see if I've got some better ideas. Well, so for for a while there there used to be a point in time where I used to think that I mean cuz I think w- both you and I can agree along with probably most people listening is that the healthcare system in the US is problematic and it's not only problematic it like literally kills people. Right. Because it's profit over people. That's true. So the thing for me is that at first I thought looking at other countries I used to think I mean, probably, I don't know, four or five years ago, I used to think, oh, like, you know, all these other countries have such great health care. But the thing is, I thought, I I really thought health care was a sort of a, um, I thought their health care systems were more or less the same thing. Um, But once you start digging deeper into it, you start to realize that universal health care, single payer health care, you know, two tier, one tier systems, you have all these different things that go into it. And so it kind of became one of those things where, in the 2016 election, I was a huge Bernie supporter, and Medicare for All has always been a pretty big thing for me. And I don't necessarily think Medicare for All is something we should abandon. I definitely think it would be far superior to what we're dealing with right now. Uh, but I do think that Medicare for All is a little bit of a uh, – it's a little bit misleading in the sense that it's uh, Bernie Sanders might suggest that it's going to be some sort of like you know corporate dismantling of health care and things like that. Um, when in actuality, I think that it still keeps those corporations propped up. And if we're going to do that, I think we could just have a better system. So for me, between 2016 and now, I kind of just got to the point where I realized that we need to be looking in a little bit more in-depth about what all these countries abroad do well with their healthcare systems. And I think because there's a number of things that are very unique about the United States, that not only are we a highly technologically advanced and developed country, but also the fact that we probably have, we have a large population. And the only other population that really has, uh, obviously China is much larger than we are, right. but we just have a very unique system or a very unique si- situation where we're not, we're not, uh, um, we, we're just so spread very thin as far as our population goes across the whole country, but we're also very large. So it also just gives a very unique situations, not to mention we also, um, have very unfortunate dieting habits as well. Facts. Yeah. Um, so those dietary habits play a role into our healthcare system, and it's something that we're kind of ignoring. Um, and it's also, I just think that as a whole, because the U.S. is unique, we need to look at things in a more nuanced manner and take into consideration what these countries do well, why they do those well, and how those things that they do well would translate over into the American healthcare system and how we could we could uh, change it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What are a couple things that really stick out to you that other countries are doing well that you think would be applicable to the United States that we could put into play that would work really well here? So I think uh, I think one of the biggest things um, is uh, I've actually talked about this a few times. I've probably tw- I've tweeted about it a few times. I talk to people whenever I can about it, but. One of the big ones is uh is I really like the Singapore healthcare system, hmm. and uh, there's a number of things that they they do well, 
um, they do have a private. They have a they have a mixed system of both private private and public um, inputs. But I also like uh, um, I also like uh, France's healthcare system as well. Uh, I think on a few different metrics, France actually has the best healthcare um, according to certain certain metrics. And we also have uh, um, I also like Switzerland's healthcare system. Uh, they do use an indi- well, I mean, a lot of these countries use individual mandates for their healthcare system. I'm not really a big fan of the individual mandate because I don't think anyone should be forced to have to have healthcare necessarily, um, unless we were to go to a single payer healthcare system. Like, it, like I, I wouldn't be against it if we had a, if we had a, if we had Medicare for all. I wouldn't like be like, wow, how dare everyone, how, how dare the government force people to have healthcare. <laughs> um, but if we didn't have a Medicare for all system, at least when I say Medicare for all, I mean a Bernie Sanders style Medicare for all system. Right. Um, if we were to have a Medicare for all system like that of Bernie Sanders. I don't necessarily think we should. Uh, um, I, I want to have an issue with mandating healthcare, but I think the mandate that's similar to what you see in Obamacare that would be the that's I do have an issue with that. Um, so I know Trump got rid of the individual mandate, and I know we I know naturally you know if you're left leaning or you're Democrat or whatever, it's it's tough to like say hey this is a good thing a president did even though he's a bad president. But that is something I do think was good. Um, so even beyond that, I think that. There's some there's some very small tweaks I think we can do that we can borrow from other countries. Uh, um, I think that having an in- like England has a healthcare system that's largely public. I mean it's publicly funded hospitals, nurses, doctors, surgeons, etc. Right. And I think I would be okay with having something that maybe not isn't on their same scale in terms of the coverage, but I think that just having something that would expand and have those public uh, those public uh, hospitals and clinics and things especially in low-income minority communities that can even provide very basic services that I would probably prioritize things like uh, um, maternal care. Um, I probably prioritize things like um, um, pediatric care and probably also for uh, disabled care as well. So even and even things like that. Also, like France has a system called the, uh, has a system called the carte vitale, which is a card system that like all French citizens have, and uh, it's a card for your healthcare, and you're able to, you know, uh, there's like a medical history saved on it. There's also the way for governments to kn- for the government to know whether or not they need to, what a, what percentage they're reimbursing you for. So you can just take that to your doctor. Your doctor will know your medical history, have an idea of how they need to administer care. And when once that care is administered, the French government can now know, hey, we're going to reimburse them 70%, 80%, 100%, whatever they need to wow. based off of the care that was provided. And I think that that would also be – so, so yeah, but basically my point is, is that there's some little tweaks here and there that I think that if we just implemented that into the system, um, we would already have huge things, even things like uh, more healthcare transparency. Right. Um, so that's like a big deal in Singapore is the reason why Singapore's healthcare system – is as good as it is 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 not not necessarily because of the you know hospital tiering system or the subsidies for hospitals or anything like that but it really boils down to the fact that they have clear cut transparency in in their medical care and they also can know the quality of that care as well yeah. so it doesn't it is not one of those things where cuz there is a tricky part you know if you if you increase sometimes increasing transparency in care actually results in prices going up and the reason Absolutely. why prices will go up is because people think, hey, the more I pay for care, the better it'll be. 
So you naturally know, like, you know, you know, hospitals might say, hey, we're going to make this surgery five thousand dollars. And that makes it look like it's a lot better when in actuality it could have been a five hundred dollar surgery or whatever that might be. So those are one of those things that if we can combine quality of care with with um, transparency and let the American people know what they're getting and how much they're getting it for, we could have a real a, a all, I mean, we would have leaps and bounds better of a healthcare system right off the bat. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with that. I think, I mean, administrative uh, kind of confusion is something that I notice a lot in healthcare. I mean, you know, any old American could tell you that if you ever switch doctor's offices, it's a massive headache. You know, if you ever, you know, change your primary care physician, dentist, uh, whatever it is, you, you were like a lot of the time you're the one that has to go back through and find that paperwork, connect those dots. Um, and like you said, it could even shoot you in the foot then because then they see that you have this history and they're like, oh, man, you know, this person has all these preexisting conditions or whatever, and, and we can upcharge them for that. Um, so talk to me about what do you see as services that are not necessarily, um, you know, they shouldn't just kind of fall into the blanket of government covered because it sounds like you're kind of suggesting that um, having some kind of um, payment Right where the where the the citizen or the uh, the patient has to contribute financially somehow, yeah. you, you're you're saying that that's something that should still kind of come into play to some ex- some extent. Yeah. So so absolutely. So that that's one of those things where that that's probably you know like you had mentioned before there might be a little bit of controversy with that because people absolutely. think because now don't get me wrong I'm not gonna say I'm not here to say that people who I'm not asking anybody to die of a brain tumor. I'm not asking anyone to die of heart disease. I'm not right. asking for any of those things. And yeah. I would strongly, yeah, exactly. I know, <laughs> right? Controversial. So, um, but the thing that's most important is the, just the idea that I think that having some sort of like, uh, um, sort of, I, I don't, I don't want to use that phrase, but having some sort of like, uh, weight, like having, having every, every like, uh, individual health decision you make and paying for these health decisions having some sort of uh uh like clear-cut uh weight on your way of of way of life and and actually being able to take your own health into your own hands is important to me so for me is that it's like the way i look at it is this the i think that i i don't have any issue with uh with having like a blanket coverage for people but I think that realistically, there's a there's a we as a people or we as a as a as a government should give the people the the power to make these decisions on their own. If I don't okay, want to spend if I if I don't want to pay money, if I don't want to pay money for stents. Right. So say I'll never have a stent ever in my life. I'm hoping I don't like I'm hoping my diet is good enough to survive and never have to have a stent in my heart or in any of my arteries. But the thing is that, that there will be people that, that do. But the thing is, is that there's individual steps we can take to not have that happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. So I think that um, – I don't necessarily think that it is um, unethical to ask that people uh, behave a certain way so as to make sure that they don't develop certain things that they could avoid otherwise. Oh, I but see where you're going be, with this. Okay. Yeah. So – but to be clear, though, before anyone gets on my back about like uh, – not per, not wanting to get not, not wanting to pay for healthcare for people who get to eat however they want. Um, it's not necessarily that. It's just more importantly that either way we're gonna pay for it as a citizen, right? right. 
So the fact of the matter is that I would rather make the dec- I would rather pay for what I want to pay for, and I would rather you and every other American citizen to pay what they want to pay for. Uh, uh, not not necessarily to the point where the problem is that anytime I ask people what would what would be a good healthcare system or what needs to be part of a perfect healthcare system, the first thing that they'll tell me is that they'll say insert this and then say free, insert that and then say free. That's all. That's really all it is. They mm-hmm. they don't. It doesn't feel that anyone is thinking maybe outside of the box of like how we can make these things affordable because like at the end of the day it's like if if a if we work on increasing affordability and we increase on increase uh, if we work on increasing accessibility then i think that we can have a legitimate conversation as healthcare just being part of a thing that we pay for uh, it could be viewed as a as a good and or a service but the problem is that because healthcare is so blown out of the proportion right now in terms of its price and because we've let people run out the back door with profits, right. it doesn't seem like we're having any real conversation about how we can make it affordable. Also, to be, to be to be fair, Medicare for all is a system where everyone is covered by one insurance, right? It's it's government yeah, provided true. insurance for right, all exactly. 330 million people. Hmm. But the fact of the matter is that what is the th- what is that that payment for insurance? All that money that we're paying for is going to corporations anyway. Yeah, where we're talking about a we're talking about a public insurance system, but we're still providing, we're still having a private health system. Okay. So, yeah. so if you're, if you're, if you're saying, Hey, well, we, people talk about, 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 uh, about like how Medicare for all will save us a certain amount of money over the course of the year or over however many years, like we're paying 50 trillion a year now. And then if we get, if we go to Medicare for all, we'll only pay 30 trillion or not a year, but 30 trillion over 10 years. Hmm. So we'll go from 50 trillion over 10 years to 30 trillion over 10 years. And I guess something what what people don't realize is that where is the 30 trillion dollars going to? It's going mm-hmm. to corporations. It's going right. to pharmaceutical companies. So what what the the idea is that you have to have a clear-cut policy somewhere no matter what. It doesn't matter whether you have a full-blown everyone gets coverage no matter what or if you have some sort of like mixed private public system. You need to have you need to have all of these companies, all of these corporations, all of these people who uh, are set to profit off of these things. They need to be held responsible for this, no matter what. And if you're gonna if you don't work on controlling price, then I don't really see uh, I don't really see a good argument for just saying, oh, we'll negotiate the price. Well, you right. well negotiating the price isn't all we need to do. We need to force people to actually come. We if we're going to let the if we're gonna let capitalism still work work in it, like still still operate. Quote, which I don't wor- see it work going with quotes, away. Yeah, work with huge quotations around it. Wait, what? I, I said work with huge quotations around it because it, yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You need, you, if you're going to keep letting it stay and linger and you're not going to completely dismantle it, then surely there needs to be a different conversation about how we provide health care for the American people. I don't sure. think, regardless of the revolution that we, that we want, it doesn't matter whether we want <laughs> to have some sort of egalitarian, libertarian, anarcho-socialist democracy. It doesn't matter what we want. Right. If we don't if half of the country is perfectly OK with the system now, half of the country's not. Well, I won't even say half the country. I would say there's a there's a relatively small proportion of people who do want to completely dismantle capitalism. We see it on Twitter because we're in our in our sort of echo chambers. Right. But in reality, we don't get to see all of Twitter. We don't get to see, you know, the predominantly Republican Senate that we have or the uh half the country being Republican or whatever it might be. The fact of the matter here is that 
capitalism's still going to operate in this country, and if we need, if we're going to let it operate still in this country, I think we need to take some steps for it. And I don't think the government signing a check to corporations every single year for Americans' health care is, is automatically the is 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 the is the solution we should be looking for. Yeah, but no, that's an that's an excellent point. So yeah, what kind of controls? I mean, what kind of controls would you put into place? Like, what would that mitigation look like to you from your perspective? So I mean, I would say right off the bat, we need to have. Um, um, there's a few there's a few things, but um, I think like uh, the the way the farm the way pharmaceutical companies operate now, uh, that needs to just be chained from the from like not top to bottom bottom it just needs to be scrapped like period um i don't think that uh i think that we need to have a more legitimate conversation about i think decriminalizing marijuana like would be a huge step in the right direction absolutely i think it would automatically take a lot of a lot of uh what's the word um just a lot of overall um uh, just overall power and profits from these pharmaceutical companies in the first place. Um, but when you look at these pharmaceutical companies, you see a lot of, you see a lot of like slight alterings of these, they do these like slight alterations of their drugs. And when they do these slight alterations, it allows them to keep the patent current. And because they keep the patent current, they're not effectively changing it, but they'll keep the patent current and then they'll, they might they might increase the price and if they do increase the price they'll make some sort of like Martin Shkreli uh argument they'll say like oh well it's for research and development right um but the problem is that none of that research and development ever gets back to the United States Ameri- like it never gets back to the American people mm. so um if we're going to keep changing you know ibuprofen pills or we're going to keep changing um uh you know diabetes pills or whatever kind of pharmaceuticals we have in the first place there needs to be a, there needs to be some sort of standard that the government sets as some sort of clear cut real real like uh measurable increase in quality for these drugs and right. if this increase in quality is not is not there then they need to either one lose their patent or be uh, or two at least they can keep their patent but they need to at least allow the government to make uh sort of generic versions of these drugs um so that i mean that'd be one thing but i think um other things too is uh just having having uh a a a if we can have a solid public uh a solid public hospital system in this country even if it's not like i said i'm not expecting it to be anything as extensive as england's system but even if we had something as or i should say the uk but um, even if we didn't, even if we didn't have something as extensive as the UK, we could at least have, you know, three, four, five times as many VA hospitals as we have to provide for mm-hmm. every everyone. Um, like I said, we could increase the concentration of publicly funded clinics and hospitals that are effectively free free of charge in lower income communities. Um, so we can we can do those little steps there because that's that way I think. Um, there's there would there would allow they would allow people to go to these places to provide either cheap or free uh care and that way that if we're if we're able to put that on some sort of level and say hey it's sort of like USPS and like FedEx and UPS you know right like the U- United States Postal Service provides a service um that although it may not be as good as FedEx and UPS we know that it'll have some sort of like 
has some sort of standard of quality and it has some sort of like uh uh sort of guaranteed decent price that we can we can all agree is like not too bad and if we can do that for healthcare then it would all it would force all these other these it would force a lot of the profit away from uh these companies and actually force them to compete not only on an accessibility level but also on an overall quality level mm, excellent yeah no that makes a lot of sense so beyond just affordability um and i know one of the other things that you mentioned was transparency which i think is a really excellent point um what else do you think is missing i mean what else would you say that is you know really needs to be in addition to how we conduct policy in this country that's just not there i mean for me um i mean i know you talk a lot about sleep and so i, I just kind of want you to extrapolate on all these offhanded ideas i know for me like yeah. probably the biggest one is diet like i think our yes like how how we 100%. allow yeah yeah like how we allow the USDA to kind of you know present this total bullshit you know nutritional guideline is is damaging to the to the health of Americans but I mean what else tell me about your opinion yeah so I would I I'm a hundred percent on board with uh I mean not even I'm 110 115 percent whatever <laughs> you want to say uh on board with like removing animal agriculture subsidies altogether yeah I and when I say and I think like you get you kind of get like a you get a, like a double edged sword that would work well in our favor if we like got rid of like say like corn subsidies, you know like any any I, I'm pretty sure there's subsidies on corn, soy, and wheat, and I know a lot of people will make comments about oh well it's for, uh people will say that corn, wheat, and soy are for us vegans you know who make up one to two percent of the population or whatever nonsense um but in actuality we all know that it's being fed to cows. It's being fed to uh, – yeah, and so if we can remove soy subsidies and we can remove corn subsidies and we can remove wheat subsidies, that by itself would already be a huge uh, step in the right direction because I think most people agree that uh, – I do think there's a little bit too – I think there is too much soy in things, not like whole whole soy beans. Like it's not like people are eating edamame. Like I don't have an issue with that. But there's like a lot of processed food that you get from wheat, soy – and uh and corn and that's a result of the animal agriculture industry that is basically being um uh no pun intended but they're being force fed this amount this this food um mm -hmm. because um and what happens is they get all sorts of other products out of it maltodextrin out of it you get high fructose corn syrup out of it all these different things um you yeah. get soybean or you get soybean oil you get corn oil uh you're getting all sorts of processed foods out of just like the the three foods that you're just feeding cattle, um, so beyond that, yeah, we could we. I mean, I think we can end. We're already seeing the dairy industry have to be constantly propped up and like kept afloat. Um, so I think that removing those subsidies would it would would go ahead and just 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 end it there. It would it would burn the 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 uh, the it would cauterize those those uh, heads that we're cutting off here because uh, they right. keep they keep regrowing. And the problem is that until we get to the point where we just uh, get rid of that altogether. So yeah. there are some things I think you could even do small policies to hmm. or not really small policies, but you could just do little small changes in the policy where you could just say, hey, we're going to have a clear cut standard for what grass fed beef is. We're going to have a clear cut standard about what free range eggs are, all these things like that. You have those clear cut standards and pretty soon beef production is going to go to a fraction of what it is now. Uh, same thing with eggs, dairy, everything else, because. Um, they're going to be f they're they're not they're they don't really have any clear cut uh like uh you know guidelines for these things they can just kind of right. 
uh, grass fed more or less means gra- has to be fed grass at some point. You right. know, uh, free range means has to be let out at some point. And even then, right. I mean, you can see some of those free, quote unquote, free range r- eggs and chicken. They don't. They're not free range. Not um, they're still, you know, the, because they think the problem is that you see the factory farms of like every all these all these chickens and all these cows and all these pigs kept in like very small confined areas and then you say okay surely when they say free range or grass fed or antibiotic free or whatever it's going to be way better but then the thing is is that some of those slaughterhouses and some of those uh, concentrated animal feeding operations that you see um are are really the ones that they like you see them and you think oh this must be a factory farmer this must be a CAFO or whatever but in actuality it's like ed, that's just a slightly better version and it's actually what you know those standards that you think are getting you a better quality you know piece of meat or whatever right. um so i think if we if we started there make the guidelines stringent make them very strict mm-hmm. um we would already see a a big reduction in that beyond that you end the you end the subsidies and you and you got a big a big step right there because um and we don't even really have to subsidize plant food i would like for i'd like for us to subsidize greens and berries and you know fruits and vegetables i would love that sure. but um uh we can just start with ending the animal agriculture subsidies and then we can move from there to see if we want to make um plant foods cheaper for people um but for the more outlandish thing i would have to say is i think all vegans are pretty on board with the the uh, animal agriculture subsidy thing. Um, but the more outlandish thing is definitely sleep as a healthcare um, proponent, right? Yeah, like, okay, so, cool. Yeah, so, and for <laughs> me, is uh, sleep is a, uh, okay, so, I, I mean, I'm going to give a little shout out to Matt Walker. Matthew Walker has a book, it's called Why We Sleep, came out in 2017. Recently okay. finished reading it maybe about a month ago. Gave it to my brother, so I hope he's been reading it. I haven't asked him about it, but um, uh, the problem with the problem with sleep, right, is that there are a lot of things that we can uh, almost almost eliminate in some cases. I think um, from from like a low level, low level, uh, making sure that children are getting their sleep all the way up to full blown adulthood and even, you know, into our later years to the point where we're getting closer to death. Um so sleep is big for me only because I think we have a culture of sleep deprivation. That's fact. And so because we have a culture of sleep deprivation, we end up getting into a weird spot where we're not really um there's there's like a there's like a culture of like thinking it's cool, thinking that you're you're, you know, above and beyond other people because you know, you wake up at 5 in the morning and you only get 4 hours of sleep and you know, you're an early early morning grinder whatever else, you know, that's that's like a you know rise and grind. It's like rise and grind culture, right? And yeah. um, we're we're more productive when we sleep more. Um, we're and we're much healthier when we sleep more. I mean, there's one thing. I mean, there's a lot of information related to sleep and what co- types of uh, diseases and conditions and things it can cause. But one big thing for me, which is absolutely fascinating for me, and they've done this study, and they've been able to replicate the study in other countries as well. Not only in the U.S. but also in France, Germany, England, Japan, etc. They've shown that you can eat, you can, you can have only, you know, if you have only eat, I don't know why I'm talking eat, you don't eat sleep, but, um, (laughs) uh, you can have four, if you have only four hours of sleep, uh, for six nights in a row, uh, you can actually make yourself pre-diabetic. Wow. 
Yeah. And so you, you got to think how many people are, are doing this regularly, right? Right. So, you know, I had a – I was talking to someone one time. I, I mean, he probably might have taken a little bit offensively because he's diabetic, but I told him – I had mentioned this in a group of people, and he was like, no, I don't believe that. And I'm like, you know, you, whether you believe it or not, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but I would also point out that it's one of those things where I think some people are just are a little bit baffled because there are some people who do get quite a bit of sleep or that at least they try to make sure they're getting their sleep. And when they find out that there's people out there who are only sleeping for four hours a night almost all the time, they're like, wait a second, what? No way. So um, you also have to think, there's a number of things, and this is, and sleep is good. Sleep is probably the most protective thing, in my opinion, when it comes to both chronic and, um, both chronic illness and infectious disease as well. Absolutely. So like both chronic disease and infectious disease, because you have a lot of issues because, our our immune our, our our immune deficiency goes right down, it, or I guess it goes up, but our immune our 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 immune systems are largely suppressed by lack of sleep, hmm. and I mean you can see a, a reduction of up to seventy percent of the natural killer cells in your body, so wow. just by having a uh, either no sleep or a a poor night's sleep, whatever that might be, so you know you have a lot of people. Um, this is actually why I've, I've become a little bit not I don't want to say conspiratorial, but I am a little bit uh, uh, I'm a little bit questioning of the motives of the World Health Organization, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and Dr. Fauci and all these things related to um, selling a vaccine, honestly, um, mm. for this coronavirus. But it's one of those things where also this is a big deal is I don't think we have a clear cut. We don't and there's really no country. I don't I don't believe at least this is what I've read. I don't believe that there is any co- country that has a clear-cut public health policy on sleep, right? So we we have there's something like if you want to go look it up, I mean the FDA or whoever, um, some government agency will tell you, hey, get eight hours of sleep, and then, and you know, they'll tell you little tips about, you know, blue light, making sure you're keeping away from light and electronic devices for the last hour of your sleep and things like that, whatever. But there's no like we have we have so many posters about like you know, what, what types of things you should eat, or, you know, um, we have posters about not smoking tobacco or not doing drugs or whatever it might be. Uh, we have, we have a clear cut, uh, I think we have, I mean, our sex ed, for example, is not great at all by any stretch of the imagination, but many people are exposed to that at some point in time. I think that if, I think we need to have, not only do we need to have a very comprehensive sex education, uh, as a, as part of healthcare, but I think we need to have a very comprehensive, uh, sleep education is part of healthcare integrated into the system, not just and not just like a two week course. I mean, it needs to be a thing that's like a regularly, you know, sort of like reiterated to people that we need to we need to be sleeping more regularly. Um, we need to be sleeping just more, period. And because of the fact that, you know, people uh, I mean, it's like it's lit- by the way, there's the shift work as like work that is like a. Um, that's like uh, disrupting the circadian rhythm is classified as a group two A carcinogen. Like wow, yeah, th- that's a that's an that's Insane. an inter- yeah. So people people don't realize that this like on and off sleep or sleeping short period of time, there it's effectively saying hey, don't sleep and get cancer. You know, so you got you got, think about it. How many vegans have you ever seen reference red meat as a carcinogen? Right, all of them. Exactly right because but red meat's only classified as a two A carcinogen, while processed red meat is classified as a group one carcinogen. So you have to think like if group if if 
processed red meat is classified in the same group as tobacco. And we're still going to use red meat, even though red meat's not in that same group, we're still going to use it and call it a carcinogen. you got to call shift work and lack of sleep as a whole also carcinogenic as well. Um, wow. Because, yeah, and there's some, there's some, there's a number, there's, it, it, it happens mechanistically in a variety of ways. Um, one of them is that there's, there's hormones that are upregulated and downregulated that are related to the quality of food that your body will want to go after, um, mm-hmm. which results in, uh, and what happens is your body is actually um, doesn't want your body has fewer um, uh, your body has a lower uh, um, propensity to go toward higher quality food. What happened like you, you what happened is that because of this downregulated also your 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 uh, your satiating uh, hormones are also downregulated as well. Mm-hmm. So like you don't fill up, you don't feel like you're being satiated on the same level whenever you go without sleep. So what happens is you're looking for, uh, you're going to end up eating higher processed foods. So not only do you want to go toward higher processed foods, as in that hormone is up uh, upregulated, but you also don't know when to stop eating those processed foods as well. Wow. So those things in itself right there is already a mechanism for it to, to be cancer-causing. But beyond that, even the, the actual act of not sleeping is also uh, carcinogenic in the very sense that those natural killer cells that you're killing 70% of them off at a time by not sleeping, those natural killer cells are actually um, not able to effectively go to, you know, tumor sites and eliminate those tumors like they should. Um, Matt Walker describes them as like a secret service kind of, you know, um, a secret service mechanism in the body. And what happens is your those secret service members are like going through your body and saying, what can we isolate now? Like they're isolating things, they're killing them, they're removing them, they're gone. Um, so you got to think, I mean, realistically, if you if you want to think of it like this, we're all developing cancer in some form or, or fashion. It is a matter of like whether or not our body has the ability to get rid of it when it needs to. And if it doesn't do that, eventually it'll overgrow to the point where we can't get rid of it. Wow. So um, and yeah, and then there's also there's also like huge connections with uh, mental illness as well Absolutely. when it comes to, to sleep as well. And sleep can definitely help people now, even if they all have already developed mental illness. But I would. This is probably a, a bold claim to, to make, but I think that we would see a, a nearly 0% incidence of, we would see nearly 0% incidences of um, mental illness in, in a society that, that presses sleep onto children, that makes children sleep in the best environments they possibly can and gives them the maximum amount of sleep that they possibly can due to the fact that those mental illnesses are oftentimes developed in younger ages, uh, you know, adolescent years and things like that. And that's the part where we're not forcing them to get the sleep that they need. And because they don't get the sleep that they need, uh, because we let them, they're, they're always, you be on that phone. Like, they're always on their phone, you know, like, uh, they're always on their phones. They're always playing some sort of video game, whatever. And I get, and I get it. I understand that it's, like, one of those things that's tough to, to, to you know, keep these kids from. Um, but... Because we're not, and that was another thing too, is like uh, increasing, um, what's it called? Yeah, pushing pushing forward some uh, some school start times. Um, right, yeah. Just because there are a lot of kids, and the thing what people don't realize is that kids have a have a certain circadian rhythm. It's not they're they're not being rebellious by not wanting to go to sleep. Like they're, they're they just don't they just can't go to sleep. Um, and I mean I I'm sure most people know as a kid. They've been they've been told to go to sleep. They go to sleep and they just lay in bed. They don't go to sleep, you know. So 
Um, post up on your phone. That's what I would do. Exactly. So I mean, if you take those, if you take those electronics away from them, or if you take the, um, uh, we should. I don't. I don't care about privacy really. Like privacy, I do care about privacy, but I don't think that. I think that the privacy for the children is not what I'm trying to violate by removing phones. I think the phones are are an issue, not because we, I don't, not because uh, parents, because I do think parents are a little bit too like uh, um, draconian with some of their rules when it comes to phones. But I think that when we remove the phones, we shouldn't be removing the phones because of, um, you know, what because we want to know what they're doing or whatever on their phones. We should be removing their phones so that they're not up all night, you know, sitting on their phone, turning their TVs back on, things like that. So if we can remove these things from them in the first place, that would help a lot. We can push up those school start times and make sure that they're getting the sleep they need. That would be nice as well. So if we can start at a low level, so we have things like mental illness, chronic illness infectious illness and we have all these things that can more or less be fixed by you know giving people sleep and it depends on the the uh the stage in life but i think sleep is a huge proponent of a of a what i would call a perfect healthcare system mm. yeah i agree how would you i mean you've mentioned things in the past about incorporating it into um kind of company policy and for adults right like having access to like quote-unquote adult nap time yeah um, how i mean how would you go about implementing those kind of things i mean what, what would that even look like all right so there's there's actually there's actually a i think the ceo of etna does this for his for his employees now and i think that this could be a maybe a similar model um this would just be one idea at least i have a few but this would be one of them and uh so the ceo of etna actually gives a gives a uh, bonus to his employees for sleeping. Like he just straight up says, um, if you can show me, he has like a certain number of days in a row that he asked his employees to get, you know, seven hours or more of sleep. And if they can show by like using some sort of like, you know, fitness tracker, like a Fitbit, or maybe even the, the technology that they have in like sleep number beds now too. Uh, those things like that, he already has uh he gives people uh, bonuses for that. I, th- I re- can't remember exact exactly what the amount was, but I don't remember it being anything uh, compared to like what I might want to give people. Um, but I think that would be uh, – I think you should be able to prove to like a doctor, for example, every six months or so um, that you've been sleeping and you've been getting good quality sleep. And you can if you can do that, hey, I don't, I don't see why the U.S. government can't just, you know, give them money right on the spot. I mean, I'm already. I already want to give people money, as a as a a really big universal basic income advocate. Um, right, right. So I don't see why not. I don't see. I don't see why we shouldn't just keep paying people, uh, because in my personal opinion, I think that developing cancer, developing heart disease, developing, you know, having strokes, uh, having diabetes, whatever else, those things cost us more money in the long run. I mean, we pay literally billions of dollars a year to. Uh, um, to make sure that people, we pay, we pay billions of dollars a year for diabetes and heart disease and every other, uh, chronic illness we've got there. Um, so yeah, I think that, that would be one thing. Uh, but when I think when it comes to the workplace, I, I would actually have a a mandate related to, um, chronotypes, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, chronotypes are basically, you know, what people are in terms of like how they sleep, you know, 
now I used to think this was like gobbledygook to be real. Like I thought it was fake, but like after seeing that there is some there there's quite a bit of scientific evidence that does show that people are either morning people or they're night people or sometimes even something in between. Mm-hmm. I I would actually I think it would be good to to mandate that companies do in their best ability they 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 provide employees with a um they provide employees with scheduling based on their their chronotype so if you can if you have you know say you're open for 12 hours a day 14 hours a day whatever if there are people who are morning people you schedule them earlier the the night people schedule them late and i think that would be i think that would be huge right off the bat because there's a lot of people who are getting poor sleep not because they're not going to bed on on time not because they're not sleepy enough not because um you know uh they're cur- they don't have blackout curtains or whatever it is you know not because they they it's not because they don't get their melatonin producing because of blue light or whatever it's because they're trying to sleep off of their chronotype so you might get 8 hours of sleep you might get 10 hours of sleep even if you're sleeping off your chronotype but because you're not sleeping on your chronotype the quality of sleep is actually inhibited at least at least slightly and so if we can work on if we can work with employers to do that that would be great i would love to see employers adopt a sort of you know a system i think nap should be i think nap should be completely um allowed um cuz you see a uh you see a very clear cut uh that like when like the acaria acaria greece actually used to work uh, they used to have like a siesta style kind of uh, work schedule, and a lot mm. of the shops would be open from like nine to one, close from one to five, and then be open from five to nine. And during that four-hour siesta, people would be allowed to go and do things that they wanted to do, whether spend time with family, maybe take a two-hour nap, one-hour nap, thirty-minute nap, whatever you want to do. And then you go back to work. Now, right now, I think the the culture we have now is just kind of weird to like go back to work. Um, but I think I think it would just be nice to just have maybe a system in place where people have some sort of benefit of being able to sleep at work. That way, mm-hmm. they wouldn't feel like they're going back to work, you know. So, right. um, the uh, so something like that. But then when you look at it, the uh, Akarians were um, were like uh, they're ninety percent or not nine, no four times more likely to live to ninety. Uh, Akarian males were four times more likely to make it to the age of 90 than American males. And wow. and, and when you look at it, and not to mention Akaria, Greece, is also a blue zone. So they have, the low, they have low level of chronic illness and they have low levels of, you know, diabetes, heart disease, all these other things. They have low incidences of stroke, all that kind of stuff. And not only are they eating a Mediterranean diet, which is predominantly plants, but they're also they're also they also had a point in time they've gotten they they have they don't really still have that siesta style lifestyle anymore um but with this combination of things with the combination of a proper diet and a and good good sleeping habits you end up having people who are living longer and not only they're living longer but they're also living higher quality lives so right. um yeah i mean i had tweeted a while back about how like people say i'll sleep when i'm dead um and i had said uh but you'll die because you don't sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> and that is that is the that is the that is the truth. I mean, there's Alzheimer's links. There's all sorts of things related to it. So I think that mm-hmm. um, I think there's a number of ways we can get people with more sleep. I think we can incentivize co- uh, uh, companies to 
actually get on board with sleeping more. I say, hey, like, if you wanna if you wanna put a nap pl- nap thing in place or some sort of nap system in place, we'll fund it. The government will fund it because it'll save us money in the long run. And I think that's Absolutely. important. I think yeah. that's important to any healthcare system. Yeah, awesome, sweet man. That's that was really comprehensive. To be real, like my, I would I would like to clarify something is that mm-hmm. my my ideal system, the one that I've been like formulating in my head. Did I send you the? Did I send you that list of 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 all the po- like like comp uh, things that I had in my? Uh, um, I might need to share it with you sometime. But I thought I had yeah. maybe sent it to you at some time some point but it was like a real oh yeah i sent it to you yeah it was like it's a r- really long list of of yeah, all my yeah. yeah further up in it it's like a but yeah like i i just add i just add things to those brace yourself anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i i've had like i i go and i just add things to it as i come up with them and i think there's like like i said there's always a there's always a policy to benefit from from someone um and also i would point out that there is the american health the American healthcare is good. The American healthcare system is bad. Hmm. So I think like if you can afford healthcare here in this country, this, this is a pretty good place to be. Like you know, it's like um, uh, there. But there's some things too. Like uh, there's a uh, com- the com- there's a we need we should be having more conversations about making people or encouraging people. I should say we should encourage more people to pay cash for their for their medical services. So what happens is there are some people who are completely they pay they they pay cash exclusively for their for all their medical services and they just have insurance for like catastrophic events. Hmm. And so I guess you could actually call like what I want the the sort of system that I want it can kind of be called Medicare for all. Um it would just be something that I would I would be restructuring the Medicare system as a whole and hmm. uh so the way it works in Singapore, which is what I would kind of reflect here in the U.S. is, which would I, the system would reflect in the U.S. is like a, they have these Medicare accounts or they have these things called MetaFund accounts, and these MetaFund accounts are funded by the themselves and then matched by the employee, similar to Social Security and Medicare currently is now, the employer or not the employee, the employer, the employer and the employee pay a certain amount of money. They pay each a percentage of your salary. And so similarly, I would do some system like that. Maybe we would uh, uh, maybe play around with some Social Security stuff. Maybe we play around with some uh, any other taxation system that we currently have in place now. Have have it to where you can fill up an account. Like every 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 citizen would get a certain amount of money when they're born. That that money would gain interest like any other you know savings account would. And that's the amount of money that you spend on on health services. So. It's one of those things where, like, you can see a clear-cut amount of money being taken out of your paycheck. Thing is, currently, Medicare is a system that's available for people 65 and older. Hmm. So the problem is that when you think about Medicare, uh, you and I are thinking, when are we ever going to see this? You know? So we might not. Exactly. We might not see Medicare or Social Security, for that matter. And right. so, w- so the concept now is that it's like we're spending money for, I don't know, let's just assume everyone starts working when they're 18. They're 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 spending money for 47 years of their life, and one they don't know if they're going to see it, and two they get they spend they spend money for 47 years of their life just to not see it for the next what our life expectancy is 78 whatever so they're going to only see it for 13 years. Right. It's what's wild when you when you put it that way, 
And so I think that we should restructure the Medicare system as a whole. And we should, if we're going to like Medicare for all, Medicare for all, well, okay, there's a variety. I mean, a lot of people have made the argument that there's a variety of ways you can, you can interpret the term Medicare for all. And for me, I think if we can restructure Medicare for all and sort of just like pepper in all that money that we have into uh, the savings, the Medicare savings accounts for all of these people in the U.S., just give them money to spend on health care. So that I mean that that's essentially my my policy is giving people money for uh, giving people money to spend on their health care. And then they kind of just contribute to that sort of account over the course of their entire working career. And maybe we could even have a system where, you know, maybe the government matches salaries for, um, you know, children, things like that. So, like, maybe children can work on getting their money as well. I also think this would open up a system to where if we have a Medicare account, we w if we had Medicare accounts where we could actually spend money from, that would open up the possibility for things like uh, pet health care. You know, I know mm. we have pet health care now for some things, but anyone who's spending money on pet health care is probably th – they. One, if you have, a, if you shouldn't have a pet unless you're financially able to pay for it and take yeah. care, or take care of your pet, pay right. for them, I should say, not it, pay for them. But if you can't pay for them, then it doesn't really make any sense um, to have the pet in the first place. But beyond that, um, I think it would really open up the ability for people to pay for some of these services that are otherwise really expensive. You know, you have people who um, maybe they have a five hundred dollar bill that they have to pay for their uh, some sort of emergency pet surgery, things like that, they could use their Medicare account to pay for that instead of having the burden of worrying about all these other things like that. Um, and so that that's just like one little, one little thing. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't think, I just want, I just want there to be a system that incentivizes people to take care of themselves. And, um, but I would also point out too. I would, if I could, I would really want like a really, really heavy amount of money spent on eradicating every chronic illness that we have right now. Yeah. Um. Because you got several, you have several doctors right now, several of these plant-based doctors who are all about, um, like, uh, you know, randomized control studies that they would like to conduct to say, hey, we want to see if we can, you know, reverse this disease or reverse that disease. And I say, hey, if you, we could have a massive, we sh we could have a massive program. That can almost be like a large interventional study for things like heart disease, for things like uh, diabetes, whatever, things like cancer even, and say right. we could do something that's like very non-invasive. It'd just be a dietary thing maybe, or maybe there would be some more sleep involved, more exercise involved, whatever like that. Whatever we could do comfortably, ethically, and however we want to, and it could be a massive program that would also provide drop jobs for people, um, and it would yep. also provide uh, – the ability to reverse some chronic illnesses that we know now can we can reverse. We know we can reverse type 2 diabetes. We know we can reverse heart disease. So why not just let the American people say, hey, we're going to do free of charge. You have no questions asked. If you want to reverse your heart disease right now, we'll, we'll, we will completely do an interventional uh, participatory st study that will allow you to – we'll provide the food for you. We'll provide the living establishments, everything. And if you want this reverse, we'll give you, you know – some sort of time frame, whatever, and we, we can do it. So I would I would encourage a massive amount of money to go toward just eradicating uh, chronic illness, and from there we can we can take some strides there. Because if we can get rid of chronic illness first and foremost, then we can then we can set the stage for a more um, a more responsible American citizen, right? right. But I think that right. until we until we give them the tools 
to reverse the illness, until we give them the education to reverse the illness, we can't expect them to just do this. And I think that that is one of the things where I am strongly, uh, I'm very like, I don't know, like socialist, communist, whatever you want to use the term for, in the sense that like, hey, if we if they want to get rid of it, I'm I'm okay with being on board with that. So, and that's where we should start. From there, we we will have a we'd have a good system in place. So, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's excellent. I I think that's super important that you're talking about how, um, you know, fixing some of these systemic issues that are not necessarily always correlated with healthcare. Yeah. Right? That you yeah. know, like like removing uh removing um uh produce subsidies or you talked about removing subsidies for like soy, um corn wheat um and the and all these other kinds of things that you shift on a on a basis that's a little bit deeper in society but it affects you know how healthcare overall turns out so i think that's super powerful man yeah also i would like to point out that the dietary guidelines currently in place for for i think i don't don't know who sets the dietary guidelines the usda usda Yeah. yeah so the usda has dietary guidelines that suggest uh, avoiding cholesterol and uh, avoiding saturated fat and um, eating a high amount of plant foods. But the thing is, is that right now, like, so everyone will say, hey, we need to change the dietary guidelines. The dietary guidelines are there to suggest not to stay away from meat, dairy, and eggs because they're telling you to avoid cholesterol, to avoid saturated fat. So the problem is that so so the thing and I made this point on Twitter yesterday is that the the government has there is there is literature there is literature that supports getting rid of the animal agriculture industry by saying you, we need to stop eating saturated fat we need to stop eating cholesterol cholesterol is only found in animal products and beyond that saturated fat is mostly found in animal products I mean obviously you're going to you're going to have your um I'm sure everyone loved that one, but you're going to have your coconut oil fiends and things like that, you know. Um, but sure, the, I mean, there's some saturated fat in some plant foods. But uh, other than the high fat foods that we, we consume on a somewhat regularly regular basis, it's mostly animal products. So if we already have we are, if we already have it in the dietary, if we already have it in the government dietary literature to begin with, we should start taking some action on that as well. And it, there's, a, there's a good argument to be had there as well. And um, food deserts too. Food deserts are a big thing. Yeah, yeah, that's um, the point I just read on your on your thing. Yeah, and and food deserts are a big thing. So if we can get rid of food deserts, um, that I, that would be huge. I mean, my 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 thing. I think we should just have uh wherever the the definition of a food desert. I don't know the exact definition, but I think it has something to do with like twenty to twenty five miles away from a supermarket or something like that. Well, it's it's actually only one mile. One mile. Really? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Are yeah. you sure it's one mile? Wow. Yeah, this because would be, this would be mind-boggling. No, dude. I mean, if you look at a map that that shows the spread of food deserts, especially in you know urban centers, um, and this is something I've done a lot of research on, especially in colleges, um, you you'd be so shocked to look at how many cities, like a, a majority of the city, is actually a food desert because yeah, um, b- between like lack of access to public transportation and lack of you know, high quality, like access to high quality food in the form of grocery stores. We're not talking about, you know, easy marks that have, you know, hot pockets and stuff. We're talking about, you know, access to actual fresh produce. There's a huge amount of, I mean, even urban centers, there's a huge amount of these cities that are, you know, totally food deserts. And you'll look at what, what kind of communities are, 
you know, affected and it's, it's vastly, you know, poor minority communities that are, you know, affected by this. So yeah, I think, I mean, personally, I think that would be a, an excellent place to start as far as fixing the overall health of, you know, the general population. Yeah. I mean, imagine, and that, that's the thing too, is that I think there's a lot of policies, you know, like you had asked earlier, you know, like what would be a couple of things you might want to change about the system. And there are some things that I then that's where I, th- I think we should be focusing on the healthcare system needs to be fixed in a in a light that is conducive to making sure that people are just healthier. That's really what it is. The problem is that, you know, I know Marianne Williamson made a good point on the debate stage, you know, on like the first debate of, you know, however many moons ago about uh <laughs> She said, we don't have a health care system in this country. We have a sick care system. And the thing is, wow. is that, yeah, and the pharmaceutical companies are in, may, look, maybe maybe it's conspiratorial to think like this, right? But even if you scrap the idea of being conspiratorial, maybe you don't say that the pharmaceutical companies and the animal agriculture industry and the overall, you know, hospital system we have in this country are working together. Maybe that's not the case, right? But beyond that, they're, they're still, regardless, even if they're not necessarily trying to work together, they are working together. And, um, yeah, ending, ending, yeah, man, I didn't, I didn't realize that though, but like food, well, food deserts so are actually, important. Yeah, I just brought up the definition and it's basically, um, it, it depends on population, but, okay. um, the, the first standard used the USDA food desert mapping tool, um, defines, basically defines food deserts as having at least 33% of a 500 people in the census tracks, um, population in, in an urban area living one mile away from a large grocery store, and, and if it's an urban or if it's a rural area, it's ten miles away. Okay, okay, store. all right. Then I, I might have seen I might have seen rural, but twenty. I don't know why. I mean, twenty twenty five miles is still pretty far. That's pretty far. That's far as that's far yeah. as hell. Far as yeah. hell, yeah, for sure. I mean, especially if you. Uh, and the problem too is that the public. Tra- I mean, even, just think about that. Imagine what. Uh, imagine what a revolutionized, uh, public transportation system would do for the country. You know, I mean, it would massively yeah. change the health. I mean, yeah. um, even making biking more accessible, you know, right. there's a number of things right. that you can do right off the bat. I think, too, mm-hmm. we should maybe have a gym membership program where you get money for going to the gym and you lose money for not maybe not Whoa, lose money. Okay. But like <laughs> but like there, there's actually I forgot I, for, I read an article about it. I swear to you, there's a gym somewhere, but the gym mm-hmm. is free as long as you go. Wow. And you don't pay for it unless you don't go. Wow. So a, I think that awesome. yeah. So I think maybe that would be a good system where, um, you know, I, I I like the idea of maybe even like having some sort of standard. You know, for for like I said, you know, you want to, you know, look at your blood lipid profile every six months, look at your sleep every six months, get an idea of like, mm-hmm. how are you eating? Are you smoking? Are you doing all these things? And if you're if you're a relatively healthy human being, pay the pay pay them, pay the citizen, right? Just give them money. Yeah. Because right, um, long term, that's going to pay off. Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine that we pay. I can't imagine. I mean, say you want to pay them five hundred dollars a month or five hundred dollars every six months, right? Yeah, it's like yeah. you pay them a thousand dollars a year, or even 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 if you pay two thousand dollars a year, it doesn't really matter what you pay them. But I, I imagine that if you really break it down and look at the math behind it all, slowly but surely, like you're 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 sort of giving people uh uh I hate to say it like this, but you're sort of giving people a Pavlovian response to being healthy. Yeah. They're they're being healthy and then they're giving they're getting they're getting a reward for it and suddenly they're like you know what this being healthy thing ain't so bad anymore I can eat yeah. you know some more greens I can eat some more apples 
you know, I can do these things. So, um, yeah, for sure. I just think like, uh, uh, if we could have like, if we could have government owned and operated supermarkets, you know, maybe we could have a public transportation system that moves people back and forth between those. Um, because I do, I do agree. Like if, if we're going, once again, if we're going to let capitalism operate the way it is now, we need to, we, if we need to fill in the gaps at some point as a government, you know, so if we if we if we can't fill the gaps in as a government then the, i don't think the government is useful right. uh, the government's yeah. doing us no good so um public transportation would be big food deserts as a whole if we could if we could eradicate food deserts uh provide more more stuff for people uh have access to fresh produce uh allow them massive, to massive. um always be able to eat uh good food whenever they need to um right. also also i think even like some sort of food program that like uh, some sort of like app maybe that provides people mm-hmm. uh, the ability to cook food. Maybe it'll tell them what they can, what they've got in their refrigerator and what they've got in their cabinet Dude. now, and it'll help wow. them. Wow, super know? comprehensive, mm-hmm. super comprehensive. It's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. No, no. I mean, I, I, I think that. I mean, and this might just be, you know, my own personal beliefs, but I think that people are kind of inherently good, and and if you increase access to, you know, things like healthy food things like a gym like you're talking about community centers yeah um you know mental health care you know sleep regulation people will use those kind of things yeah absolutely it it, it's i mean i think life life gets better when you have healthier habits and people can feel that like people don't like defaulting to um you know just like getting super lazy watching a bunch of tv and eating a bunch of shitty food it doesn't feel good and you, you only opt, like you said, you only opt to, to do things like that when your mind is in a state of, you know, lack and in, in a state of kind of needing that, um, that dopamine boost. Yeah. And so if you can kind of fill that, like you said, if you can kind of fill those gaps out, people will, they, they won't choose those negative habits as much. Um, and, and I think, you know, unfortunately, being that we live in a capitalist country and a society overall, like the most capitalist it, it, country, to be, yeah. <laughs> it always comes back to money and, and people will be at a, at a place that they're far more productive and you as a society will save so much money not paying for a bunch of dumb shit if you give people access to those good things up front so yeah yeah and you know there's actually there's there's uh studies on this too that show that companies lose money for having uh sleep deprived workers for having yeah, sleep deprived sure. employees so sure. yeah um that's my thing. I mean, if you want to make the argument to everyone, you have to say, hey, the government knows that we can save money on health care. The corporations mm-hmm. know that they can save money by having a good a good uh, employee. And the individual knows that they can increase their quality of life and they can overall have a longer life if they sleep more. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a question of why – why doesn't it happen? But um, I, I think, I mean, personally, I just think people are too locked into the system that they have now, and, and there's somebody that inevitably would lose profit, and so it's it's kind of difficult to make these massive shifts. But yeah, um, to be to be fair, I mean, that's one of those things is is that uh, m- my perfect system is not a uh, if I could if if government provided healthcare because I think that if Bernie Sanders really wanted to be uh, I think his Medicare for all system is not Bernie Sanders enough. It's not Bernie enough, you know. If he really wanted to yeah. be full blown Bernie Sanders on a healthcare plan, it would be it would look closer to something like what the UK has. It would be mm-hmm. government owned and operated from the top down, more or less, with yeah. very small peripheral outside private influence. But 
So that's what I was thinking is that I'm okay with that step. Like if we want to go that far, that would be great. Uh, but I do have a hard time believing that it can be implemented on for 335 million people, you know. Yeah. That's just I where mean, I have a hard time. So that that's what that's where yeah. I struggle and I know people don't like that point, but it's like there's no country we can talk about how France and Germany and all these com- countries have these great healthcare systems, but right. much of these people who have quality, I mean, they make up almost, they're like our whole population combined, and that's kind of the tricky part. Right, yeah, exactly. And it, it, it is, it is. I mean, it's all about incremental change. And so, yeah. I mean, I think you can see, like, politically, um, we are shifting in that direction. More and more people are on the, you know, getting behind that Medicare for all thing. I mean, that's really what what allowed Bernie to crush the debate stage was that he had a plan that was so much more comprehensive than anybody else. And I think people would agree with you, you know, if, if they just took the opportunity to look at the, the overall system and realize that, like you said, it would still be corporate operated, even if we just had the government, you know, writing a check. And so yeah. long term, I mean, I think it would increase efficiency so much to have, um, you know, a nationalized healthcare system, but, I agree that there's just there's so many components that are kind of too difficult to overcome at this point, especially with our political landscape. Um, but I genuinely believe that it'll, it'll happen. You know, I, I think that we will get there. I think that, you know, as people, their minds kind of shift. And I, I know that the, the size of the, the landmass um, in correlation with the kind of sparse um, populace, if that makes sense, it does make it a little bit challenging, but I mean, it's still possible. I mean, we, we've proved that in the United States we have plenty of programs. Like Peace Corps, I think, is a really great example that you can, you know, create these these structures of operation that, that will work in, like, you know, very small, low-population areas. Yeah, absolutely. So I, also think it, I also think, too, it would be kind of interesting to see, um, like, more – maybe, like, a, a subsidy for private practice. Maybe, like, a mm-hmm. – Maybe like a grant for private practice. I don't know what we've got in place now for these types of systems. I'd have to do more research on that. But it would be nice to say, hey, um, there are some people. There are people who are in the middle of Wisconsin. Or, I mean, Wisconsin's kind of populated, but any any place out in there, like Wyoming, Montana, up there in that area, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, uh, places like Iowa, even e- even like Iowa, even some places in Missouri. I mean, you've got. I mean. Everywhere's got some pretty desolate places. The only place I can probably think of that's not particularly desolate is maybe like a, like some relatively smaller places like Rhode Island or something like that. But even then, they're yeah. going to have some accessibility issues. We every state will, every area will, and Notably, yeah. if we were to if we were to give people incentives, like you know, the thing is, is that most doctors are what do they do? They go to medical school for however many years. They go to medical sc- they go to school for a decade, and then they come out of school and they're like. Oh, now time to go work for, you know, slave away for the corporations and make more money for them than I'm making for myself. Why not yeah. start your own practice? Why not right. why not start your own practice and you can travel? I mean, you could have people traveling the entire country who are, you know, have private practices who are providing good, affordable, accessible healthcare to everybody. Um we right. could also expand telehealth where we could actually do um some remote, you know, uh like a I mean, what's the word? I guess, uh, uh, like remote uh, pra- practitioning. Like, so we could actually yeah, be able sure. to provide some sort of service for people uh, from a distance. I think too, 
if we had a less litigious society, one that wants to sue everybody every chance they get, right? We would probably be in a better spot as well because yeah. we're we're not we're in a we're in a weird spot where like a lot of doctors don't want to administer certain types of care because they think that there is a chance that they're less likely to there's a chance that they're more likely to get sued or they're more likely to get uh you know malpractice against them or something like that. So I would like right. to see diet be I would like to see more I would like I don't think drugs are I don't think drugs are obsolete in our world. I don't think that's necessary. I'm not at that point yet. I think we could be at that point way down in the future if we continue to uh foster healthy habits for our society. But right now we're right. not in a post drug society, but we definitely need to be in a post uh prioritized drug society. And mm, yeah, absolutely. You know, so we don't we we need to think about what we can do comprehensively, whether it's diet, sleep, exercise, meditation, yoga, whatever whatever these types of things are that can help people have a healthier body just by not doing things. You know, you can't you can't drink alcohol, smoke cigarettes and do whatever else you want and then be like, "Why am I not healthy?" Um yeah. and and the thing is is that how many doctors need to need to have more training? I think you would I think you've made this point before. Doctors need more training in health or not health obviously health. In, in they need in nutrition, yeah, nutritional health. Like and lifestyle practice in general. Yeah. Exactly. And it's weird because yeah. like no it's not like it's not a conditioned thing for you to walk in. The first question should be or not the first question, but one of the first things that doctors should ask is what are you eating? How are you sleeping? And if they're not if they're not addressing those things from the beginning, how are you going to tell someone, "Hey, you're you know, you're unhealthy because you're overweight. Well, you can say that all you want, but at the end of the day, someone can be overweight and also not be sleeping right, also not be eating right, and that's really what's contributing the most to their health issues in in the in the first place. And rather than contributing to rather than having a clear-cut conversation about the individual lifestyle changes we can make, we keep having these conversations about how can we either over over prescribe losing weight or how can we overprescribe drugs? And those two things yeah. are not necessarily bad on their face, but they're definitely bad in a in a world where we've let them become pervasive in our healthcare system. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, cool. Um, any other kind of big things popping out at you at this point? Uh, no. Um, I don't think so. Okay. Right, not, not right now. I will okay. tell people right. this though. A little message. Uh, uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how. I don't know how how uh, susceptible to people to this message people will be. But uh, don't okay. don't feel like you got to vote for anybody in the in November election. That's all I got to say. Wow. Yeah. Heavy heavy yeah. comment. I'll take yeah. it. I'll take yeah. it. I'll, I'm gonna I'm gonna support that comment because awesome. I, I wholeheartedly agree. I've been thinking about that a lot. My I have a buddy that's been really trying to chew me out because he he knows that I'm not gonna vote for Biden. But yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um. Vote, vote green. I think green, green, green's green party is looking pretty decent. Yeah. Uh, Howie Hawkins yeah. is a supports both universal health care and universal basic income. So okay. yeah. Howie, Howie Hawkins, Howie Hawkins. And there's, I can't remember his other, the other dude's name, but there's another dude who actually wants, uh, he actually supports, uh, reparations. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The green party is where it's at. <laughs> like those are the two <laughs> the people that are go the, those two people are the ones that are fighting the guy that's giving reparations yeah. and universal health care and the guy that's giving UBI and universal health care. So there you go. I know. So that's all I got to say. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you, you got, you, you heard it here first, everybody. Um, 
yeah so i mean both compassion treat yourself compassionately uh henry thanks so much for coming on here man yeah man i appreciate the appreciate the talk for sure we'll do it again soon all right man well there you have it everybody i hope you've enjoyed this episode of the earth movers podcast you can find henry anywhere books are sold at black vegan jesus that's on instagram and on twitter specifically you can find me at zach oi the o is a zero if you're interested in personal coaching you can find my website at veganstrongfit.com and without further ado i hope you've enjoyed this episode and i'll talk to you soon